Hello, hello, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive Imperial assaults. I'm your host, Isaac, and in this episode, we are going to do something that we did do a couple of months ago, but with the new season four just releasing, we're going to do it again. David, Jess, and I are going to go through the entirety of season four, all the spoiled cards, all the previewed cards, and we are going to give our thoughts on them. So before we jump right in, let's bring the other ones on. Hello, David. How are you doing? Hello. Yeah, pretty good. So it's actually kind of rare at the moment for all of us to be on an episode entirely together. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to say, because the last couple of ones have been, just scheduling has been close to impossible with everything that's been going on. But I mean, for an episode like this, it is nice to have everyone here together. Yeah, it'll be fun. And I do have to say that, I, and I know this is a very British comment, but the weather at the moment uh, isn't isn't quite the best. So I think we all could use a nice little day off and enjoy talking about ICP stuff instead of worrying about the horrendous weather outside. Hmm. 34 degrees is a rarity in London, let me tell you that. And we also have Jess here with us. How are you doing, Jess? I'm good, thank you. So the big news, obviously, is Season 4 has officially been released. So the Testing League has just started this Monday, the 10th of August, and that will be continuing for about three months. And then after that, we will have the official for another three months for Season 4. So a total of six months for Season 4. All of the apps and uh, things have been updated for Season 4 cards, so the Tabletop Simulator and the IA Builder that Trevice is in charge of have been updated for Season 4 cards, and um, Trevor's Vassal mod has also been updated for Season 4 cards. So you should be ready to go for all of your Season 4 testing. But that's it for news for this episode. Amazing. Uh, Alrighty, so just before we jump into the main episode, uh, do we want to talk a little bit about Season 3, what our thoughts have been, what units we liked, what units we didn't like, and just what has been doing well, what's commonplace now? I think it'd be a really good idea just to give a, a sense of what the meta is and how Season 4 might change that. Exactly. So I, I actually I missed the last event because um, I was working, but... I guess Jedi have been pretty popular, and also Imperialists with a lot of defense. Yeah, so the there's been a lot of defensive tactics that have been very popular. For example, Knowledge and Defense has been used quite a bit, and things like Get Behind Me uh, have been really used effectively on Force user Jedi lists that are getting up in there in melee, which does put you in a little bit of a vulnerable position, but they've been able to use these kind of defensive tactics to help them counteract that vulnerability. Uh, but, and also things like Yoda uh, helping out again with defensive capabilities. That's been really popular with the Jedi Force users being really popular in the Porg Cup. Uh, but then in the Beskar Cup recently, we we saw a huge shift actually towards Imperialists being very, very popular. But with a very similar thing as well, where we still have melee figures like Vader, for example. Huge comeback has been very popular recently. And again, seeing a lot of defensive tech with um, stuff with Guardians, with Royal Guards. And again, Vader with a double black die is pretty hard to get damage through 
anyways. So that's been really capitalized on. Absolutely. So it has been very interesting from um, from a committee member's perspective to see the meta evolve as the season has went on. So right off at the start, because Yoda was part of the season, I, in my opinion, Yoda was all the craze. I think Yoda made, made the biggest splash early season. You, we had some other cards which were which were wildly played, such as, like Jessica mentioned, Get Behind Me. And then we also had the predecessor to Iron Will, which the name of which is, for some reason, escaping me, but the one which essentially was an anti-assassinate, letting you reduce damage after modifiers instead of limiting the amount of damage you can take as an on-declare effect, both of which are interesting, and I do think it's very interesting to see how Iron Will has been very commonplace. Mm -hmm. Almost every single Guardian list you see out there runs it, but the previous one didn't. So, um, David and Jess, what do you think about... What was it that made Iron Will better than the other one? Because arguably the other one would have been better because it was decrease the damage by two after modifiers. I actually think Iron Will is is a lot better because the damage curves are going up a bit, mm-hmm. I would say. Because we're we're having a lot more um three dice attacks with, with big surges and we're we're looking at lists that have fewer attackers but much bigger attackers. So you, you get almost to the point where I mean, no matter what attack you throw that on, it's going to do more than two. Yeah. My thought as well is that it's very controllable. You know for sure mm. that when you use it, let's say, for example, that your figure uh, is at four health, you would know for sure that if you played that card, you will have saved that character, right? Whereas if you have just that reduction in damage, they could roll really high and it still might not save your character. Or you kind of have to agonize about, do I play it? Because I might just waste this resource because my character will die anyways, uh, that kind of thing. So I think that's why Iron Will is slightly better is because it's you control the situation more fully. Yeah, I think that's completely correct. And I also think what's worth considering is that the previous card, it was when an adjacent figure does X, where, or rather when an adjacent figure suffers damage. Whereas this one is only four Guardians, one Guardian suffer damage. And that card has resulted in us seeing Guardian lists suddenly being a lot more popular. So for example, in the Paw Cup, I ran the Royal Guard junk droid spam and i spoke about the ability last episode so if you want to hear more about that go back and listen to episode 14 a big part of that list was iron will and the thing the reason i think iron will is better is because just like jessica said you get to limit the amount of damage that comes to you rather than reducing it and that is a very interesting distinction because when you're limiting damage you are in control you are saying you are not dealing more damage than this whereas when you're reducing damage yeah, sure, you get a little bit more information because you can see, okay, did I dodge or not? Did I roll well or not? Did they roll well or not? Did they play any assassinates or anything like that? But ultimately, if they deal more damage than they need to kill you, then that's then you're dead anyway. Yeah, I think it's it's more of a, a value variance issue because mm. could, you know, tools for the job focus, token, whatever, stack everything onto something and you could negate all of it instantly yeah the potential to do that is too too much better than reducing two damage which is still good 
Absolutely, and that's exactly what happened in my round one port game. So I had a focused Hondo element attack going on my one of my Royal Guards, and instead of spending my token and taking a buttload of damage, I just played the card, and I only took three damage. It is insane. Uh, but with the nerfs that have been revealed a couple of days ago, it'll be interesting to see what changes that will bring to the meta. Okay, so season season three had kind of really beefy, hard to kill, few figures, and and a very melee brawler kind of style. And we're getting yeah. two two nerfs actually at the end of season three before season four. And the first one is a change in the royal guards. So forward vengeance will no longer trigger off companions which which removes the junk droid combo they're also losing the static plus one evade um but they'll they'll get an ability to gain an evade token when they okay. use their stun ability exactly so this was a change we spent a lot of time trying to finalize because from my personal opinion i don't think junk guards was was a broken list. I found I thought it was a very Johnny style list because you're relying on a very unique combo. Um, but it did receive a lot of blowback from the community, and ultimately, it's a community project. And if the majority of players don't enjoy playing against something such as Spectre Cell, then we're going to nerf it, or we're going to do something to make it less dominant. And what we also realize is, with all the defensive guardian cards, the plus one evade is ridiculously powerful. I would say that barring several defense dice, Black Die plus Evade is the strongest defensive pool in the game. Yeah, I was actually kind of screaming about this way back when they were revealed because I was playing with George actually uh, the the day that they were released, I think. Oh and right. He, yeah, he was playing a, a Vader Elite Royal Guard list, and I was playing my four act line ambush. Um, it's a trap list uh so we're actually going to talk about that finally in in the next episode but basically it relies on getting three back-to-back alliance ranger activations so 12 shots into their their team uh with all the hunter cards in in your deck basically and i could not kill anything i could kill one run royal guard and take vader to about half with all the resources in in that entire list uh. Yeah, so we've really been seeing that the archetype that has been hit the hardest in Season 3 is we have been seeing very little hunter lists. Like, ranged hunters have been very, very low showings in tournaments, and they have not been placing particularly well. So we, David and I have talked about this, where it's kind of, if you have a tactic that your list relies on, you kind of want to go all in on that one tactic. So it does get a little bit scary, though, when you put more command cards that do a particular thing in, because that means that they can stack. So it's an, you, you want there to be enough tools that there are options, but if you stack too heavily, let's say, on defensive tools, those lists can very quickly become overtuned in that direction so i think we are kind of nearing that tipping point for brawler guardian type list with lots of these defensive tools that are stacking up like with extra armor iron will you know the guardian effects the all of those kind of starting to combine uh, 
it is getting a little bit scary in the defensive tech. Yeah, I, I think that's completely correct. Um, and speaking of defensive tech getting a little bit strong, or not more than a little bit, defensive tech has won almost every single season three ISCP tournament. So um, at least in the approved season, the first win that we had in the Poor Cup was Jump Guards. And at the time of recording, we don't know who's won the next tournament, the Beskar Cup. But the top four lists are all Imperial Beef. Mm-hmm. We got Junk, we got Junk Guards, we got Vader Palp Thrawn, uh, Vader Boba Royal Guards, which was a defense spam list that Ollie and I came up with a couple of days before the event. And then we have one more Imperial list, which is for some reason slipping in my mind. Um, but it's very clear that those defensive lists are very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And now that we're bringing the Royal Guards down, I think the Royal Guards are still going to be very playable. They, they're still incredibly yeah. fast, incredibly tanky, even though they, they're not oppressively tanky anymore. And their damage output is going to go down now that they can't autofocus from Junk Guards, which is going to just make them that little more balanced. So I think this is all in all a good change. I wouldn't, I, I wasn't pushing for all these things personally, but I do think ultimately it's a good thing. So the the second change we're going to see is uh, knowledge and defense. Um, I think I've also been been complaining about this a lot. I'd love to complain at Isaac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you hate these changes, maybe you can kind of blame me as well. But basically, knowledge and defense will only let you add a black die now. Uh, so it, it removes that doubling up on, on dodge effect that you can get while playing this. I think that's really great. I mean, I don't think it actually weakens the card in in terms of you know consistent overall use during the game, but it will re- re- remove that incredibly frustrating feeling where your opponent just thinks you dodge 30, 30 plus percent of the attacks, um, mm-hmm. and which is fair because you should dodge more than thirty percent of the attacks if you have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's what we were considering as well. So, because we were nerfing royal guards, we thought when royal guards emerged because they were so good against Jedi, mm-hmm. and we don't want Jedi to dominate the meta either. Because ultimately, even though there are more people who enjoy playing Jedi than enjoy playing Imperial Beef, at least from the numbers I've seen, if royal guards get nerfed, then Jedi are going to make more of a comeback and. As we, we really don't want to nerf as many cards as possible. And if we have to nerf, we want to nerf them in one go. Mm-hmm. So because we had gotten so much feedback about how Knowledge and Defense is a very powerful card, but it's unfun to play against when your opponent just dodges every attack. And, I mean, ultimately what we've seen in the higher levels of play in, you know, top four, top two final games is that most plays do at the Black Dive because it is ultimately better and more consistent. And considering that that does seem to be the most competitive option, because you're guaranteed to get extra defensibility, then we thought, okay, let's just in one fell swoop, let's get rid of let's get rid of the white die because no one enjoys playing against it. It's just unfun, and it still becomes a very very strong card because still for two points you get. I mean, we've uh, been taking statistics of different games, and I think there were some games that went up to it being redrawn seven times. Yeah, I think that's the bit that breaks it, is because if you have it just be a single-use card and you could add a white die, I think that would be fine. But it's the redraw effect with the white die being able to be used consistently that was tips it over now i'm i'm kind of 
one of the few people that doesn't mind the dodge actually like i complain about it jokingly like that's why i play mm. imperial with black die because i don't <laughs> like relying on the dodge but when my opponent rolls them it doesn't bother me like i find that like a fun part of the game like i like that kind of dice bit like the probability like the chance the the kind of gambling aspect i guess so it doesn't really bother me so much but I get what people are saying, like, and I think this is a good change. Yeah, I think the the bigger thing is not is not being frustrated that your opponent is dodging. The the bigger issue is when your opponent starts to get mad at you for dodging, and that is yeah. so awkward. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is. And I mean, we are lucky enough to, you know, I think we can all honestly say that it isn't a big issue in the community yeah. the imperial community is the best in the world i think that's very clear to say but you know i mean no one no one i mean apart from crazy people like jessica no one enjoys being dodged against um and ultimately you know you would rather have your opponent play a card which you know it'll buff their defense ability and you'll get a little bit of damage through than just running into dodge after dodge after dodge. Because, I mean, as we'll talk about later, there are some new cards, which we will see, which can mitigate the dodge a little bit. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what Season 4 brings. Um, so, do we think we are ready to dive right into Season 4 previews and give our thoughts on it? I guess keep, keep in mind where the meta is now a little bit, and let's see how things will change. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'll start by going over some Rebels, I suppose. So first off, we've got Lando, who I've been waiting uh, probably forever for Lando to be fixed. Yeah. And he's he's got uh, six points um, cost now with, with nine health. Green-yellow attack die, uh, four speed, and a black defense die, uh, leader smuggler. He's got, while attacking, you may reroll one of your attacker defense die, resourceful, and gambit before you reroll re a die, you may replace it with another die of the same type. Um, after reroll, after rolling, the new die is considered rerolled. So this is quite similar to what he was doing before. But he's got shrewd scoundrel now, um, where once per activation, before you roll a die, or before you reroll a die. You may guess aloud a number from 0 to 2. If the number of damage or block symbols on that die matches your guess, double its results. I love this. I think it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. So I think, I think you're going to have a lot of different reactions to this. Um, and one, one bunch of people are really going to love it. And I think... Uh, some other people will just say, well, you always guess the same same number and roll the same die, which isn't isn't true, right? There there will be certain situations where you'll you'll have weird stuff happening and you might be guessing something else just to ensure a kill or something like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for example, a good thing to notice about Lando is that he has no innate accuracy. Yeah. He does a, he's got a green die, so which means that if you're going to shoot someone far away, you're probably going to replace the yellow with the blue die, and you're probably going to say one, because 50% of the sides on the blue die has a single damage. Then we've got two sides with two damage, and one side with no damage. And I think that makes Lando very, very interesting to play, because he does have a lot of different ways 
that he does. It's not just going to be the same thing every time. Yeah, I mean, I I can see myself actually doing some really really fringe guesses and taking some ultra long range pot shots, hoping <laughs> to vaporize someone. Yeah, because let's yeah. say for let's say for example that um, two is less likely, but if you guess correctly, it would kill the figure. You might do it, exactly. right? So exactly, I like that element of strategy that is there. But I mean, again, and most of the time you probably are going to pick the most likely outcome, but there I can see fringe fringe outcomes. Exactly. And what I do think is pretty cool is that running him in any list which can give you extra rerolls is going to be absolutely amazing. Mm. Because if you run him maybe with Farm Boy Luke, who I think is a, a viable-ish figure, I think you could make some lists work with him. That was yeah. actually my first ICP list, Farm Boy Luke Lando with right. a double reroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you can do the exact same thing here, with the possibility of doing an insane amount of damage. I mean, uh, but you can only damage. you can only guess once, right? You can only do the shrewd scoundrel once per activation. Yeah, sure. But I mean, a reroll is still a reroll, and you still get the gambit ability for your reroll. Yeah. But yeah. So I think Lando is going to have a very interesting place in the matter. He's a smuggler. And as we know, smugglers are amazing, so he's going to have access to cards such as On the Lamb and Tools for the Job. And oh boy, Lando with Tools for the Job. Whew, that is going to be an interesting experience. I do think he's a, he's a really cool figure. We did do a lot of testing with him. And yeah. he's, he, he's really fun, and he feels very Lando. Yeah, he does. And I think he's this sort of mid-range rebel figure point cost slot is quite quite popular i think six six and seven just feel good for some reason hmm. and i do think that with the changes that we just spoke about a couple of minutes ago because defensibility is going to go down at least a little bit i do think we're going to see a return in hunter smuggler lists <laughs> especially with some of the cards we'll talk about later when we get to mercenary the uh, map rotation map rotation as well that's a really good point because with the maps because previously, the maps that we've had have been so small that they have really favoured these melee brawler guardian lists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But with the new map coming out, that's a pretty big map. It is pretty big. And sure, there is, one of the missions does have some minus accuracy to the first couple of rounds to make up for that. But that doesn't matter too much because it's still going to take the melee and brawlers and guardians a longer time to get to you. So I do think Lando is going to have is going to definitely have a place in the matter, and I just can't wait to um, you know use shrewd scoundrel on him, reroll that blue die, uh, reroll one of those dice into a blue, guess the one, roll the five accuracy, one damage. Suddenly this die is showing two damage and ten accuracy. Mm -hmm. uh, ooh, doubling the accuracy. Exactly, because you double all the results on the die. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So. Yeah, so also an interesting thing is that if you were to go up against someone who has minus one dodge, for example, if you were to go up against ISBs or the Grand Inquisitor or an Imperial Force user with deadly precision, you could roll the white die with Lando and say zero, and because the dodge and because the dodge side has zero blocks. Oh, that's hilarious. And they can only yeah. get rid of one. Oh, yeah, exactly. But I thought dodges were not fun, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you see, this is a dodge that I would roll. <laughs> Lando does what he wants. 
Exactly. And we also have to consider the fact that Lando will still keep his command card, which means that once per game, you're going to be able to turn a die to any side after your reroll. Mm. And that is going to be very powerful with Shrewd Scoundrel. Okay, I'm going to pitch, I'm going to pitch something, guys. So oh. you take Lando into Scum, and you run him with just all Jawas, and we just always gamble. Just We just gamble the whole game. <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. You you can run a little pickpocket, which mm-hmm. um, so there is a little bit of a pickpocket combo, which we're not really going to go into now because it takes a little bit while to explain, and also it's not going to be legal by the time the season is revealed. <laughs> so it's kind of irrelevant. If anyone is curious, feel free to ask around in the ICP Discord or Slack channel. Yeah, I heard that. It was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shall we move on? Yeah. Let's. Well, let's let's do all of the uniques first. Yeah. Uh, so the the second unique rebel we're getting is Loku Kanaloa, which who who was actually spoiled quite a while ago, um, but a really Indeed. exciting one. So he's five points, eight health, blue red attack die, speed five, and a white defense dice, and he's spy hunter now. He's got a built-in plus four accuracy and a surge for plus two. Um, Loku's actually always been really popular in the UK. Uh, there was actually even a, a tournament prize for best Loku list during <laughs> the Spectre Cell meta. <laughs> That's hilarious. Guys up in Sheffield will be really happy to play around with him, I think. So the, the Loku's abilities now are set your sights. At the start of the mission, place a recon token on a unique hostile figure. While a friendly figure is attacking a figure with a recon token, apply pierce one to the attack results. So that's kind of a callback to his um, campaign abilities a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll 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 make it really a lot easier to get through some of that nasty defense. Yeah. So the the question is, you know, who who do you pick, right? It'll be a good good and interesting choice to make. His second ability is priority target. Figures do not block line of sight for your attacks. And his last ability is Mon Cala Special Forces. When you declare an attack targeting a figure with a recon token, you become focused. I love him. Mm-hmm. So, Loku... Isaac, you and your sniper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean... It... Han Rangers has been more or less completely unviable in ICP because defense ability has gone up, um, the games are shorter because lists are smaller, uh, the maps are ridiculously small and with a, an insane amount of cover. Han Rangers has really not been viable. Uh, but this, this, this just takes it to a whole other level. I mean, imagine taking Loku in a Han Rangers list and you're putting that recon token on Vader. Every time a Ranger shoots Vader, they now have an innate PS2. Yeah, and Zillow can only deal with one. So exactly. season, season four actually has quite a few uh, stuff in it with Pierce. So I think that yes. is going to be able to poke through the defense. Okay, but, but what if what if you stack it with Jabba's blood feud and you've got Pierce one and <laughs> plus one? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to do that, that that's definitely 
Possible. Yeah, because we have seen, for example, in the uh, most recent tournament, the Beskar Cup, we saw a lot of queen pieces being played at low activation yes. lists. We saw some three activation lists, or just the one, because it was two people, but it was the same. Yeah. Um, and so that would be really useful then to have Loku if you have fewer figures holding on to more hit points, more points. And you can you you can just focus on on the few targets. Exactly. And what's really interesting as well is that his command card is still perfectly viable, or rather, I should say, is now perfectly viable because it was not viable earlier because Loku sucked. Mm. Um, sorry, Sheffield. I don't even um, remember what Loku's command card was. So what Loku's command card is is coordinated raid. It's exclusive to Loku. Costs two points. Include one deck for two actions. Loku gets. You and a friendly figure within three spaces may each perform an attack targeting the same figure. Figures do not block line of sight for these attacks. Which is very interesting, because you're going to get the PS4 on both attacks if you're attacking the the guy with the recon token. And now both figures can draw line of sight three figures, which is amazing. I mean, priority targeting <laughs> is an insanely powerful ability. Less powerful in the current meta, I would probably say. Um, because there are so many guardians that just rush up into your face. Body blocking isn't quite as valuable as it was back in the sniper days, but it's, it's definitely still good. And yeah, you get the pierce, and Loku, if he attacks, it becomes focus if he attacks the one with the recon token. So, you know, I don't think it's an auto include with Loku at all because you got to have your position on point because it costs two actions and you can't move early unless you have the cards. Uh, but it's an interesting choice and a valid one. I disagree about the body blocking being less valuable because in a few of the games that I saw in the Beskar Cup, the, the body blocking Vader for the last one hit point or something did make a big difference. So like, for example, Royal Guard standing in front of Vader, uh, it, it, it kind of made a difference between the games. So I think it does make a big difference with these queen pieces that you're playing. So um, I, how many yeah. points is his command card? Uh, two points, which is pricey. Uh, but yeah, so just jumping back to what uh, Jess said there, I, I do think you're correct, but at the same time, melee lists can get around body blocking a lot easier than ranged lists can. Yeah. Because if you block line of sight, that's very different from... You've got to be very precise with your melee body blocking, because if they have any movement card, they'll just take one step around you and attack anyway. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with, with ranged or with snipers, then you're literally standing in the way. Yeah. <laughs> and likely there's no chance for them to draw a line of sight to you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I have on my phone an Imperial Assault Tech Builder, and I've already built my Han Rangers Returns Returns list. <laughs> and I'm calling that because the list I ran prior to ICP in the final days of FFG Imperial Assault, I called that list Han Rangers Returns because in the Spectacle era, no one thought Han Rangers could work. And uh, it turns out it did still work. Um, so I called that one Han Rangers Returns. That makes this one a Han Rangers Returns Returns. And I think what I'll, what I'll be doing is I'll be replacing Mac and one of the smugglers for Loku. Uh, Loku's just so good. He's so good. And with the activation count going down, eight activations has become what nine activations used to be. If you run eight activations, you really shouldn't ex you should expect to get last activation every single round. We'll see. We'll see. Indeed. Yeah. Alright, David, do you want to talk about the next one? Next, we've got Verena Talos. Uh, she is 8 points, 11 health, blue, green, yellow attack die, speed 4, and a black die for defense. And she's Spy Brawler. Um, she's got an action for close quarters. 
move up to one space, then perform an attack using an adjacent hostile figure's attack type and attack pool. Surge Fighting Knife. After this attack resolves, choose an adjacent hostile figure and roll one red die. That figure suffers damage equal to the results. She also has Improvised Cover. While defending, if you are an adjacent to an object or non-friendly figure other than the attacker, apply plus one block to the defense results. She's got a built-in evade and surge for plus two damage and pierce one. I think she's going to be really interesting to play. Like there's a lot of stuff that she can do. So she is a ranged figure, but you want to get in close and she does have those defensive options to keep her from getting completely blasted apart. Exactly. So the thing about Rena, I think, is that for 8 points, 11 health is on the low side, but if you look at her defensive capabilities, adding an evade and mm. potentially adding a block as well, that, that's Boba's defense pool. Yeah. And we all know how insanely powerful Boba Fett is. So, yeah, no, I, I think she could make a very interesting splash. Um, we did talk in the previous episode about Jyn, so we might touch on that a little bit. But contrasting her with Jin, I think is very, very interesting, because she's more expensive, less health, a lot more survivable, but both figures kind of want to get in close to do their stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do think we could see both of them in a list together, because they're both brawlers, which is nice. And then they could go up close together. Exactly, just like the best of friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I ask a question? So it says... Yes. Uh, if you are adjacent to an object, what things count as objects? Uh, that would be a door, any token which is not a figure, uh, such as terminal or neutral mission token, which the rules don't specifically state. This is a neutral figure, or this is a hostile figure, for example. Got it. Okay. Hmm. I I was I was not sure about the door one, so doors count. That's pretty cool. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but as far as I'm aware, doors are objects. Okay. So she should be able to use a door as her improvised cover, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it introduces a mechanic which is not often seen in Imperial Assault. Yeah. We very rarely see any viable abilities which interact with objects. Mm-hmm. But but this one is very viable because if you run her up to an opponent's terminal. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly now she's got block of eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really cool. And contesting the terminal, and I like the idea about how certain missions as well she would be better. So depending on the map rotation, that might make a much bigger difference. Yeah, I, I would say so too. So her range attack is nothing really to sing about. You know, you've got Harris attack pool, red, green, yellow. Surges are plus two damage. Search for PS one, like David said, it's not. It's not bad, but that's, she's not going to be... quite good yeah, I mean, to Hera. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But she's not going to do any long-range shots because she's got no reroll, no search for extra accuracy. You're only guaranteed range three. So you're definitely going to want to get her in close. And my goodness, if you can get her to close quarters, Vader, that's just beautiful. You know, her running up, snatching the Dark Lord's lightsaber out of his hand and then beating him over the head with it. Yeah, that is hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, there are also some other cases which are hilarious as well. I mean, you could look at Jabba. She could run up to Jabba, pick up his tail, and then start whacking him, whacking him over the face with it. So there are a lot of interesting and honestly, really fun ways you could use Verena. Yeah. I think she's going to be viable. Uh, eight points is expensive, 
is she as good as Diala? You know, that is a good argument, which the meta will solve as we see things go on. So I think she's interesting, and I do think she's going to make a bit of a splash, but uh, we'll see just how far she goes. All right, so for the last Rebel unique figure, we've got Jin Erso, which we already discussed in that last episode. But just as a quick recap, 7 points, 12 health, blue-green attack, speed 4, white defense die, leader brawler. And she, she gives out recover 1 and 1 surge token once per round to an adjacent friendly figure. And she's got a special action Tonfa Strike. Move up to two spaces, then you may perform a melee attack using a red and green die, and then perform your ranged attack. So she's she's the other brawler that might fit well with Verena. Hmm. So, I mean, again, we spoke about this last week, so we're not going to go too deep into it. I think Jin is amazing, and I think she's going to be very viable in your scum or rebel brawler lists. I do think she works very well with Verena because they both want to get in close. They are both targets you do want to get rid of. And having Jin heal Verena with her insane defense characteristics, that could be very powerful. And she's got a lot of movement, too. Mm, yeah. So with that one as well, it's like you want to have something that is going to keep up with you and survive. And with Verena's kind of survival tactics, I think I could see them going well together. And I like with Jin that there's more complexity to to playing the figure. There's that playing around both melee and range. And it's more situational. You have to really think about where you place her. So I, I, I like how she seems more interesting to play. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so let's move on to the non-unique Rebel inclusions. So we're, we're getting a massive... Is it massive? Yes. We're, we're getting a massive Rebel vehicle, trooper vehicle, in the ATRT now. It is 8 points, which I believe is the cheapest massive. 13 health, blue green yellow attack die speed five and a black die for defense with a built-in plus one it's got search for plus two and pierce two and it has a couple of abilities so vanguard while attacking if the target is within three spaces of you you may replace one die in your attack pool with a red die and run and gun while attacking during your activation you may re-roll up to one attack die unless you are occupying a space you were occupying at the start of your activation. Yeah, you can't run and gun if you didn't run. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the ACRT is a very interesting... I, I know I just call everything interesting, but honestly, everything is interesting. Um, but the ACRT is a very interesting card. So it's a 2 by 2 figure, and which makes it the smallest and the cheapest massive figure in the game. It is in the Rebel faction, and you might be thinking... Well, hold on. So it's got plus one block and 13 health for eight points, and it's two by two. And then you contrast that with the tank who has um, its ability to either get plus one block or an evade, but only ten, uh, 12 health. Yeah, but also remember the fact that Imperials have Zillow, and you know they are built around defensibility, and the ATRT is in the Rebel faction, which, unless you're running some sort of MHG box, you don't usually rely on surviving an insane amount of hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this one could be very interesting. I do think running gun is going to be a difficult ability to get off. You know, if you run in attack, yeah, sure, you're going to get it off. 
But then when you when you are then gonna run and gun the other way, you know, you shoot and then run back, you are not going to get the reroll. So it, it's it's interesting. I do think it's gonna have a place in the matter. It is a very powerful trooper figure. Um, I mean it's got a very good board control, massive, which is always good, speed five, which is very efficient. And you could run them with other troopers such as Fen, and Fen could give them extra movement points. Well, couldn't you let's say use one of your movement points run and gun and then keep running backwards you can't because you can't occupy any spaces that you are occupying exactly you would need to move two spaces if that's assuming it's possible to which sometimes you know it's not so easy to move these two by twos around right mm. right right and it okay so do they have the thing where they can move over difficult terrain? Uh, it is massive, so yes. Yeah, I think I think the ATRT is going to have a tough time because the Imperial counterparts have retrofitting. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. it's like trying to fight uh, beast tamered beasts with not tamed beasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And that's also you know kind of what we wanted to create with this design because the rebel walkers that they have are in no way comparable to the imperial ones you know um the empire has their machines of war and they are just stronger in that regard but also you know the acrt is like we said cheaper and even if you were to go for the cheapest massive imperial vehicle option you would go for the se2 and repulse tank and you would take retrofitting that's still two points more expensive than the acrt mm-hmm. so i think for the points um, I think it's very interesting because you could grab two ATRTs in a list, yeah. maybe with Fen. I think that could be very viable because, again, with Fen's ability to move a figure at the start of his activation, yeah, you, you get some nice movement um, from him. And with Gideon as well, throw Fen and Gideon in. So, so that's basically two officers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think they're, they're going to be they're going to have a place in the meta. They are massive figures as well, so they're going to be very nice at rushing up and pushing people off objectives. Um, yeah, I think they've got a place in the matter. Do I think they're going to be... Do I think they're the best thing to come out of Season 4? No. But uh, I think they are going to have a place in some lists. I look forward to seeing them in action. Alright, so next we've got the Rebel Saboteurs. I, oh, yes. You know, return to the, the first waves of Imperial Assault. Seven points uh, for the squad, and you get two of them. And they only give up three points now when they die. They have 7 health, a red-yellow attack pool, speed 5, and a white defense dice. Uh, Built-in 4 accuracy, which is a little bit of a buff. Mm. They've got Mm. surges for stun, pierce 2, blast 2, and their their overload ability where you can trigger the same surge ability up to 2 times per attack. Uh, They also have priority target where figures do not block line of sight. So spy and heavy weapon. I remember running these guys way back uh, during my first skirmish games, and they they were pretty decent, but they they suffered from a couple of things, right? Their range was not great, they really needed focus, and they didn't have any damage surges. I think they also really wanted a reroll on the attack, because red, red, yellow's very treacherous. I know! That's why I can never play those... uh... Was it the, the death troopers? Yeah, death troopers, because the red yellow always betrays me. 
Yeah, exactly. And red yellow is so annoying to play with. But I guess um, it, that depends though on the surges. So red yellow is not as bad with the overload where you can choose mm. the same the same uh, surge again. So nice, juicy. If you could get off blast two twice in a clump, that would be amazing. Exactly, especially with priority target. That's that's yeah. a very good possibility, especially with the with trooper swarms. I think are going to be a little more viable in this season with mm-hmm. some cards we'll talk about later. But yeah, so what I do think about the saboteurs is that if you're not running them with targeting computer, then you're probably willingly trying to hurt yourself. Um, I mean. Like we've been saying, red yellow is notoriously treacherous, and giving them a reroll is just amazing. Also, I think that these guys are going to be a very interesting and fun addition to the meta, because back in the day, four by four with four sets of regular royal guards and four sets of regular officers was the top tier list in imperial assault, and now with royal guards making a return, so do their natural predecessors. Mm. So saboteurs are. I think very, very cool. And with their ability to blast and stun and pierce several times, in addition to the nerfs that we've that we saw earlier to the Royal Guards, I think now we are going to have a very interesting rock, paper, scissors where Royal Guards can really mess up saboteurs, but saboteurs can really mess up Royal Guards. Mm-hmm. Which I think which I that's good. That's good in a meta that, you know, you have different archetypes which can beat different archetypes. Yeah. And honestly, part of my the favorite thing about the Rebel Saboteurs is I love the miniatures. They're just uh, yeah. nice minis. And I like how they are non-human. I just feel like there's actually quite few like non-human characters in the Star Wars universe, which is like, wow, mm. oh, what a letdown. So I, I, I like the, the minis a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the minis are really good, especially for, you know, first wave stuff. I'd say they're arguably one of the best mods to come yeah. there, in addition to Vader and Han, who are just beautiful. I mean, well, to to be fair, I only usually have one human in my list, if you count Sabine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, and then we've got one last Rebel unit, uh, Rebel Pathfinder. So another another unit from Legion actually finding its way into Imperial Assault. Eight points, you get two of them, four points each. They have seven health each, blue, green attack die, speed four, white defense dice, built in plus one accuracy, surge for plus two damage, and plus three accuracy, and they are troopers. So they have a couple of abilities. Infiltration, after deployment, you may move up to six spaces. They have lighted up. While attacking, if the target of your attack did not have line of sight to you at the start of your activation, you may reroll up to two attack dice. And distracting fire. After resolving an attack, if it did not miss, you may force that figure's group to activate next, if able. Limit once per group per round. So these these guys are really interesting. Their stats are not, not that great compared to everything else we've seen recently, but they have some really interesting combo potential with infiltration and and distracting fire i really like the infiltration i think that is really cool to have because there isn't usually a way for you to get your ranged troopers moving around quickly 
uh, I think that is a fairly unique uh, ability because we've seen there are things that allow melee figures to kind of move up, like for example, Ezra's Brash kind of gets him up close uh, quickly in the beginning of a of a match. But I think this is this is new for a ranged trooper kind of unit. Exactly. So what I think is really really cool about the Pathfinders is that. I think we could probably all agree, if we look back to our Team of Giant Spike episode that we did ages ago at this point, I think out of the entire Rebels faction for Season 4, I think it's pretty fair to say that Pathfinders would be the most Johnny deployment to come out of here, because it's definitely not Spike. Uh, you know, for 8 points, they are not great damage dealers. They, they are amazing at objectives, you know? Round 1, you can move 14 spaces with them, which is almost unheard of in Imperial Assault to move that far in yeah. the first round. So they're going to be amazing objective hitters, and their distracting fire ability is insane. So just as a check, so it says if it did not miss, so you don't have to deal damage. As long as you make range and they didn't dodge, you can use distracting fire. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. So if you use it on queen pieces that they usually want to kind of keep back as the last activation especially mm. if initiative is passing to your opponent next round and they want that last activation first activation swing that could really throw off the tempo exactly yeah and it's got it's got some hilariously silly opening round moves right yeah <laughs> yeah you know you, you can say start with initiative then move move six, call the vanguard, check a grenade, and then, I don't know, shoot Han so he has to go first. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not, like you said, it's not just straightforwardly good. Because, I mean, you have to understand, like, those guys are in enemy territory now. <laughs> That's not necessarily a good place for them to be. But there are some opportunities here to make some interesting things happen. Exactly. And a great example of that is that you can use Distracting Fire on Call the Vanguard. Mm -hmm. So basically, even if you don't have Take Initiative and Initiative is going towards your opponent, if you have Call the Vanguard and these guys, you could basically take initiative by forcing them to activate someone who they do not want to activate first. You know, if Vader's in your face and he's just about to kill your harm, instead of playing Take, you can just rush up and then shoot a Death Trooper who's I don't know, 10 spaces away from Han and can't get him, still allowing Han to go first. So the Pathfinders, they're, they're very, very Johnny. They also have some very fun combos and, you know, running them in playtesting, try running them with Provoke. <laughs> because it is very possible for you to get Distracting Fire off, make them activate someone they don't want to, then you activate one of your figures, then you play Provoke on them as well, because they're already staying next to someone. And you make them go next as well. So you could have two swing activations. Mm -hmm. Which is so well, cool. you, you can you can sort of swing every round that they're still alive. Exactly. So so the downsides obviously are that their damage output is insanely low for an eight point figure. Or for an eight point group. Let's yeah. just get that straight. Um they have a surge for plus two damage. No searches for PS. They got some accuracy, so they, they have a good opportunity to get their range off, which is a good thing. But light it up, sure, it's it's cool, you know, two rerolls, but blue green, sure you can focus them up. You can play some nice trooper cards to buff their attacks, but those are likely gonna be one off. So you are not gonna use them as, you know, jet replacements. 
in in regards to damage dealers or royal guard replacements because like their math does not compare mm-hmm. and their defensibility as well seven health for a four point figure and a white die they're gonna go down like a sack of hot potatoes yeah they're gonna they go down like this yeah, yeah. Out. like they're 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 definitely gonna get taken out you just want to see can you make enough things happen before that happens exactly you're not gonna kill any you're gonna kill very few figures with them and they are going to die <laughs> i mean to, to be fair they've they've got to have whatever they shoot at survive so maybe you don't want them dealing too much damage anyways yeah yeah which is a really good point and which is why light up is interesting because you could actually re-roll your attack dice if you max roll <laughs> try and get a worse result just to keep the figure alive and force them to I expect next don't, don't want to kill 3po on accident right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. that's a really interesting point because in some situations that's true you want that that particular activation to go next because perhaps another activation is threatening uh something very important to you so that would that's really an interesting point exactly Alrighty. well before we jump into imperials um what are your overall thoughts on the rebel faction for season four how do you think this will change the matter what fun combos do you think are gonna come out so the combo card i'm looking at is actually built on hope i ha- i have i'm wondering yes. if there's something really weird that you can do with this um so for those who don't remember you reveal the top three cards of your command deck, put one of them into your hand and the others on the bottom in any order. But when it's discarded from your command deck, you redraw it. I, I'm not sure that there's something there, but there could be something there. <laughs> I mean, like we said in the previous episode, it's it's very nice against Thrawn and against Strain lists. And like we'll see when we get to the scum section, there will be a lot of strain, a lot of strain in the next season. Um, yeah, I, I think this card is really cool. I think what I'm most excited for, honestly, is Doku, just because I, I get my ranges back. <laughs> I can finally viably try to run hard ranges again. And there are other lists I'm going to run as well, because there's so much fun stuff in Season 4. We had a blast playtesting this one and designing these cards, because it's just been so much fun. Um, but hard ranges is, you know, it's the list at the closest to my heart. So the opportunity to get to play it again in ICP is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm most looking forward to seeing Vrina and Jin in action. And I mm. think they can actually become additions into the Rebel Force users list, kind of mixing up some of the the Jedi lists that we've been seeing because they'll still synergize with the Brawlers, but I feel like they can add a bit as well and allow you to put in some ranged units into your Jedi list, that could be interesting. I definitely agree. And I do think that Jaden especially is going to work really well with Jedi. With her Trust Goes Both Ways ability, mm-hmm. Jedi healing damage, and also Jedi getting a surge token is amazing, mm-hmm. considering that Knowledge and Defense is still a very powerful command card. I think the Rebel Faction is going to be in a really good spot after this season. Uh, but we will see, because there are a lot of powerful cards that we still need to get to. So Jess, do you want to read through the Imperial cards for us? All right. So for Empire, the first one I'm going to talk about is Agent Blaze is getting a rework. So Agent Blaze has been dropped from six points to five. Five points. He has eight health, speed four, attack 
green, yellow, yellow, and he has surges for plus one damage, surge for pierce two. He has two surges for plus one damage, so you could use both of those, and a surge for plus three accuracy. He still has adapt. The first time your opponent plays a command card each round, choose one spy or trooper. That figure becomes hidden, and he has a surge for interrogate. Look at your opponent's hand and choose a command card. You may discard a card of equal or greater cost from your hand to discard the chosen card. Now, question here for interrogate. Can you attack something that is not one of your opponent's figures to get that off? Yeah, as long as it can be attacked. So if the rules speci specify that a door can <laughs> that a door can be attacked, you could just see him torturing and interrogating the door to try and get information. I remember that being a thing before. So for example, you could use it on an attack against uh, gangsters or like that kind of mission objective. And also he is going to possibly be backed up by some new ISB infiltrators. So they are still costed the same, but their abilities are slightly different. So there's still seven points and four points for each figure. Health seven, speed four, attack is blue-green, and their surges are, they have one surge for plus two damage, a second surge for plus one damage, and a surge for pierce one and plus two accuracy. So they now have in the shadows, at the start of each mission and at the end of your activation, become hidden. And they have comms jammer, your opponent cannot play command cards during your activation. So I think that's going to put a wrench in some people's plans, especially against you playing defensive abilities. So for example, you wouldn't be able to play cards like Iron Will. And they have an action coordinated raid, which is the same as they had before. Another friendly Imperial figure with figure cost of four or less within four spaces may interrupt to perform an attack limit once per group per round. So getting extra attacks there, they can come hidden after their activation. The comms jammer where you can't play command cards on their turn, I think is, is a pretty big deal. Also, for example, it would stop things like parting blow even as well, not just when you're attacking. So those kinds of command cards that would affect you. Yeah, I think they're probably quite good. One of the main ways of countering ISBs back when they were sort of in the meta was to kill one of them so that they couldn't use coordinated raid. But now that they can do it with a, another Imperial figure, that sort of sidesteps that weakness. Yeah, because the older version, it says the coordinated raid is only for another figure in that group. Yeah, so they'd still be able to use that if there was only one left. Yeah, exactly. So I think these figures are very, very interesting. Uh, I'm definitely a lot more excited about the ISBs than I am about Blaze. Well, I think Blaze wasn't changed. He, he was actually in a lot of lists that we saw during the last official uh, FFG version. Assault oh, League. really? Yeah, he showed up in quite a few regionals over in Europe and in the US. He was definitely making a comeback even at six points. That's interesting. I guess the way I see him is that he is a bit of a little bit of a Thrawn light because he's one point less than Thrawn. He's one health less than Thrawn. His attack does arguably less damage. I think it's fair to say. Lower range. And he doesn't have to spend a surge or discard a card from his hand to discard an opponent's card. I do still think that Blaze is very powerful and could have a very nice spot in the meta. And I'm curious to see how he does, because also important to consider here, 
blazes at five mm -hmm. and thrawn is not so if you're going to build a spy list then agent blaze is going to be better than thrawn even though thrawn's abilities might be objectively better blaze is still a spy <laughs> and spy is an incredibly powerful keyword and you could very viably run isbs scouts and blaze for just full spy spam yeah i don't usually play spy lists too much but they do have a lot to offer the do. disrupting the command cards and certain lists really rely on their command cards. So I think this could be really disruptive and counter some some common uh, archetypes. I definitely agree. And the ISPs, I think, just going to slot into a lot of lists very, very well because they cost the exact same as jets, but they do very different things. And if you want to run the standard Vader jets list, but then run Vader ISPs instead, sure, just change your command deck change the way you play the list you know vader and spies that's a very scary proposition if they can just discard all of your damage dealing cards from your hand yeah i, I think they're going to be very very viable i think we're going to see some interesting new lists blaze combined with thrawn is also really annoying and if, mm. for 11 points you know you're going to lose all kinds of cards every round yeah i'm actually not so you know on board with spy proliferation in general because reducing the value of your command deck means that you want to use figures that rely more on just raw stats because you you lose your tricks right and those tend to be a more sort of in your face beat you with a stick style of resource i think things like extra armor start to become more valuable if you really you know if both sides run a lot of spy and you can't count on anything in your hand then you're gonna just be stacking extra armor and stacking beefy guys right mm. yeah and we have been seeing that be very common recently where that play type as well so when i watched quite a few games where basically i was surprised that both teams just ran straight at each other which was surprising especially like in europe i think we saw a lot more cagey play a lot more kind of hanging back and waiting for positioning but now with melee figures being more prominent there's more that you have to rush in to get value out of your melee figures so we'll, we'll kind of have to see. I haven't seen Spy being played too much, though, recently. I mean, famously, Tom played it for an entire season when uh, Hunters were super popular. He did really well. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next card that I'm going to talk about is General Soren has got a rework. So he has been reduced from eight points to five points. So a pretty big reduction there of three points. Uh, same health, seven, speed, four, attack, blue, yellow, defense, black, die. Uh, same surges, surge for plus one damage, a surge for focus, and a surge for stun. So he still has bombardment, choose an adjacent friendly figure. That figure may interrupt to perform an attack. The attack gains blast one, and he has advanced firepower. Adjacent friendly droids and vehicles can use your surge abilities. So the focus there, I think, is going to be really nice if he can hand that out to adjacent units. So droids and vehicles, so we can see sentry droids making a comeback here. 
possibly can help out things like the uh, ATST and other vehicles. And remember, jet troopers are vehicles as well. Mm. Also, been seeing Boba Fett being played in Imperial quite a bit, so he could actually help with Boba as well. But yeah, I think that's a really big introduction there. So I think we could see some interesting droid and vehicle lists being played. Remember, we have BT as well. So BT did very well in the most recent Beskar tournament, made it into the top four, and triple zero still around. So there are quite a few droids that I can see making more of a splash. Sentry droids in, in Empire now being able to focus, and potentially if you use them together with another Imperial unique figure we'll talk about later, they could do some insane amount of damage during their activation, which I think is really cool because sentry droids should be this intimidating force just that's just walking up towards you and blasting everything in sight, you know, because that's how, that's how they were in the TV show. And I always loved those figures until they were releasing Imperial Assault because I was so disappointed. I find that when I play them, they... They are too frail as well. They go down. And the multi-fire, I feel like, really lets me down a lot of the time. But can you imagine if you can get multi-fire and you can refocus so that your second attack is focused as well? <laughs> yeah. Devastating. I've also seen Lion Ambush sentry droids. So that's uh, mm. interesting. So we could see sentry droids potentially making a comeback. Yeah, I think we you just gotta be careful you don't bring back the the door shooting era Soren mm-hmm. and, and Blaze. So Soren was the heart of the list called Fall of Cybertron or something many years ago, right? Where he just brought a bunch of droids and they all shot the door and they all got super focused and one shot everything off the board. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That must have been right when I started. I, I think that list was already sort of out when I started playing the game, but it was really cool to see. <laughs> that is really interesting. Oh, I forgot about probe droids, too. You can have probe droids coming in making a comeback. We'll see. So that, that original list I was talking about used... Um, use Soren and I think used a lot of probe droids because that's all there was back then. <laughs> Maybe HKs? I don't, no, I don't think there were HKs actually, but the the probe droids were getting so many attack dice from this. So we could see some fun combos there. And yeah, he could be used with the tank, the repulsor tank as well. That would be really effective. That would be quite strong. So we'll see. I think another fun thing could be running him together with Vice. You know, you could you could have the two generals working hand in hand, not literally, because one of them is in a huge walker, the other one is just tottering along behind. But because obviously Vice will be quicker with his retrofitting, but because Vice has his general's orders ability, you could order Sorin to move up with you, and then Vice could now suddenly now he has a search for extra damage. Now he can search for focus. Now he can search for stun. And Vice doesn't need that much to be a top tier competitive figure in his own right without needing to run him in defensive spam lists. Um, so I think Soren is very interesting. He can be run in a lot of different lists. Like you guys said, he can be run with sentry droids or walkers. I, I think he's a very, very cool mm-hmm. figure. I- I'm excited to see him in action. So I think he could. He has the opportunity to change the matter in a, in a fun way. Uh, he's just a great character too. I mean, he's one of the only Imperial leaders in all of the lore actually accomplished what he was supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. With Health 7, 
and he wants to kind of be up there adjacent to stuff you would i feel like be more effective using him with long range tactics rather than running him up because i mean he can get taken out he's not that beefy he doesn't have any defensive bonuses or anything like that so you have to be a bit careful with the positioning uh, so also i think it's worth mentioning is that you are most likely going to run soren with advanced comp systems which is going to extend the range of all his abilities to within three spaces and that's going to turn him into a really good figure fair point so the next card i'm going to talk about is a new completely new deployment we have director krennic so director krennic Five points, health seven, speed four, attack green, yellow. He has the leader tag, plus one surge built in, and he has surges for pierce one, a surge for plus two damage and plus one accuracy, and a surge for plus one damage plus two accuracy. He has advanced weapons research at the start of your activation. A friendly figure within two spaces may gain one damage token or a surge token. Unhinged director, well, that's a little unkind. Uh, when a friendly trooper or guardian within two spaces spends a damage token or a surge token while declaring an attack, it may suffer one strain to apply an additional plus one of the chosen symbol to the attack results. So Isaac, I know that you are very excited about this being released, so do you want to talk about it? Yeah, definitely. So Krennic is a figure that I love playtesting, and I think he's arguably the figure that I spend the most time working on. I love Krennic. I mean, he's my favorite character from Rogue One. What excited me about him even more are his abilities in the game, because he has the opportunity to really bring Trooper Swarms back. So his Unhinged Director ability, it might seem a little bit weird at first, because uh, I, I have to take a strain to do this, I'm not sure whether I want to. It's basically you take a damage to deal an extra damage, or discard a card, but you know, if you run him with with you know elite stormtroopers, you're probably fine with some of them dying, because that just gives you more focuses. And most figures are going to one-shot stormtroopers anyway, so giving them a damage doesn't really hurt you too much. But let's just look at exactly what he does. If you can position him correctly, and if you can surround him with a bunch of stormtroopers, those stormtroopers are going to be rolling blue, green, with a reroll, and plus two damage. Six times around. <laughs> Six shots around, with basically a three-die attack. You know, at that point, it's effectively a three-die attack, because you've got plus two damage. Yeah, Tammy got the accuracy, but yeah, I just generally think that Krennic has the opportunity to really shine, because unlike Sorin and Blaze and figures like that, Krennic more matches Thrawn in the way that all of his abilities are passive. So during his activation, he can just move two, perform an attack with his extra surge, or he can give himself a surge and get plus two surges, and then get a shot off, get some extra damage, and then pop back in. And he's going to encourage a kind of protect the queen playstyle, because your opponent is definitely going to want to kill Krennic, because his buff is very, very powerful. And 7 health black die is not quite as tanky as, say, Kane, who forges two more points as an extra 5 health. So those are the main reasons I love Krennic, is I do think that Imperial troops are going to be very, very viable. Because he's going just going to increase the damage output tenfold. 
not Sanford, obviously, because that's not how math works. <laughs> but the things he does with troopers is very, very fun. You could run him with, with a swarm of troopers, you know, run him with mortar, with uh, short troopers, mortar troopers that we'll talk about in a little bit, and then two sets of stormtroopers, or throw in some death troopers and Thrawn, you know, anything which gives you a lot of damage power tokens that you can give around to figures. And I think he is going to be very, very viable, and I can't wait to see him hit the table. And I like, though, that bit, though, where there is that cost to get that extra bonus. So you do really have to think about how you take the strain, when you take it, when you maybe decide not to take it. And so also his command card uh, also involves strain. There's a cost to everything. It's called Deploy the Garrison. Director Krennic's command card, two points. Use at the start of a round. Each friendly trooper or guardian suffers one strain and gains two movement points or a damage token. So that's for all troopers and guardians, and that happens at the start of the round. So that could be very powerful, depending on how many troopers and guardians you've decided to bring. And the fun thing about Chronic is that you could run him, similar to Soren, he fits in a lot of different lists. You could run him in the full, you know, swarm list, where you just go as many troopers as you can, and just get as many shots of as possible. You know, you might even want to, just for fun and see how it is, run him with four sets of regular stormtroopers. You know, obviously the regulars are weaker than the elites but they have a lot more shots and if you have some sort of power token machine you know run him with thrawn and death troops and stuff like that i don't know that could be viable but also you could go for a more elite approach you could run him with sentries or with scouts and really bring their attack capabilities up quite a lot yeah i definitely feel like there are lots of different ways that you could run the trooper swarm because you could decide to run normie stormies and say hey listen they're three health they're gonna die in one shot anyways but you know let's make them really waste their huge attack on one stormtrooper with only two health left now so especially with low activation high damage attack lists kill my two health stormtrooper for for two points with your 10 damage attack and you only have one of if you if you run regular stormtroopers now you run the risk of rebel pathfinder killing nine of your guys yeah on the first of the game <laughs> true so it, it's definitely gonna we're gonna have to see how the the meta shakes up because we might see that movement away from so few activations and focusing a lot on some really heavy hitters and we might see some troopers coming back i'm skeptical i'm not quite sure if the trooper swarm is quite up there yet but we'll see we, we definitely have more options now yeah, exactly. So just as a little bit of a behind-the-scenes sneak peek, I can tell you guys about some of the earlier drops we had for him. So when we first started signing Season 4 stuff, Krennic was, I think, the most broken figure we had, because we flipped the abilities around. Basically, at the start of his activation, figure could suffer a strain to gain a power token, and then every time a figure within two spaces spends a token, you double its result. And he destroyed everything. It was not even close. He was, it was absolutely insane you know i think the game like every single game ended like 40 to 20 because you had so many troopers and it doesn't matter how many troopers they kill you still have more you know run him with short troopers run him with a bunch of stormtroopers most lists because just like jessica said so perfectly most lists now specialize in having few figures but big attacks and that means that they're not going to be able to get rid of it quite as many troopers as earlier as that was the earlier draft of him which was completely broken so we did decide to change these strain abilities around 
which does make him a lot weaker. But let's just be clear about that. I, I do still think that he's, I think he's a dark horse. And I think he's going to do very, very well. We'll see. Yeah, I think he, he looks really cool. 5.7 health is definitely going to be a target. But we'll see how that goes. All right. So the next one is we have the E-Web potentially making a comeback. So this is another one that's also been reduced in price quite a bit. So just like with Soren, it's gone from eight points to five points now. It now has one more health. So it's now five points at eight health. Still has speed three. It still has its rainbow attack, blue, red, yellow. So before it had a built-in plus one block and plus three accuracy. Now it's been reduced to plus two accuracy. So it still has the built-in plus one block. And it has surge for two accuracy, which it did not have before, and a surge for two damage and a surge for recover two. This is also a new ability that it has forward in placement. After deployment, you gain movement points equal to your speed. So that's something new. And that's one of the things that the eWeb really suffered from is being too slow because it also has the tripod ability. During your activation, you cannot voluntarily exit your space if you attack, and you cannot attack if you exit your space. Basically, you can either move or attack. You cannot do both, which definitely made the eWeb difficult to use because it was just too slow. If you use your whole activation to just move in order to get him up there, it just slows you down from being able to do other things. We've got also... The assault, you can perform multiple attacks during your activation. So although it can't move and attack, it can attack twice. So I like that the forward emplacement does help them get kind of into the fight a little bit more easily, kind of put them out there so you don't have to use up your first whole activation with them just moving them up all the static blocks in empire will will be really tough but they they're getting an attachment as well which i think will will change a lot of the the thoughts about not being able to move and do something so we have a skirmish upgrade attachment overwatch uh, so it's for the eweb engineer only choose an overwatch token to be associated with this group figures in this group gain action Place this group's Overwatch token in a space within your line of sight. Exhaust this card when a hostile figure enters a space on or adjacent to this group's Overwatch token to interrupt to perform an attack targeting that figure. Then remove that Overwatch token. You can basically use your whole activation to move up, and then you're basically saying that the EWIP is there ready in case something hits that spot it's going to shoot. So I think that is quite interesting because you can force your opponent to have to rethink their plan of running up into your face. Yeah, and it covers quite a large amount of space as well, right? So it, it can target a space and everything adjacent to it for the Overwatch. I feel like it would really be dependent on the maps that are in play because there are going to be certain areas 
where the e-web is going to be very deadly. Also, like for example, on Endor, it can really defend those areas that you want to hold. Like it can really defend that barracks area with the kind of sight lines, the way the sight lines are. I can see you tucking into some areas there and really threatening the holding of the barracks there. Yeah, this card looks really cool. It's tough because it's, it's kind of another, I guess, nail in the coffin that is Lothcats. Mm. They were really susceptible to getting parting blowed running through to reach the back line. But now on a lot of maps, if you've got an e-web and you put them there, you know they won't be able to bomb in because that cat will just die running in. Mm-hmm. Also is going to make it tough for the rebel pathfinders with their infiltration as well. So if they kind of get up in there and then the e-web activates first, it's gonna make them have some question marks about what they do there and where they go. So it could potentially cut off avenues for them as well. Yeah, no, I think the e-webs definitely are gonna have an interesting spot. So they are the only Imperial trooper that had a surge for recovery which is going to make them synergize very well with Krennic, because if Krennic can give them an extra two damage on their attack, and then, you know, if they get an extra surge over, they'll just heal that damage that they just took from using his unhinged director ability. And also Overwatch, I think, is just great, because you're not limited to movement when you're placing an Overwatch token. So, for example, obviously with the tripod ability, you can't move when you attack, and you can't attack when you move. But you can move and then perform the Overwatch action, which means still basically get your attack off, most likely. So you can still move your move three spaces and place it, which is very nice because it does allow it still to control a lot of the board. I like that question for your opponent as well because it's either the e-web gets their attack off or you forced your opponent to not go somewhere they wanted to go exactly so i like the potential for the mind games i think it'll depend a lot on whether or not you can get around them but if you're putting extra armor on this thing it'll have plus two blocks and you know who else has yeah. plus two blocks is uh, specter cell ezra <laughs> yeah and and recover too oh my god <laughs> what have we You've made Imperial Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'm still just too traumatized from the old eweb that I just I can't consider playing him. I it just I don't know. I I I I personally don't think I would play him, but I could see it having some uses in some lists. Yeah, I mean, I think that your positioning is going to have to be on yeah. point. Probably going to want to want to run at least two officers. One to be able to push him, and then two also be able to body block, because you don't really want them to get attacks on your reweb. It's, it's too valuable. But it is pretty cheap for its defense characteristic and damage output, so if it does die, okay, fine. Honestly, I, I don't know if... If eweb is gettable, so mix eweb with a uh, royal guard standing next to it that can cover both spaces oh. with two block tokens. You're shooting against three block and a black die and Zillow with recover two. Oh man! Ouch! The testing league is gonna be spicy. <laughs> Indeed. We'll see. We'll see. I think a, a way of getting rid of them is gonna be lion ambush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm looking forward to more Lion Ambush things. So I'm looking forward to your next episode, David, your Lion Ambush episode. And that one will be fun. Also, some new deployments as well that are accompanying Krennic 
shore trooper and we have the upgrade for them the mortar trooper so we've got the shore trooper is seven points four points per figure so we've got two per squad seven points four points each figure and we have health seven speed five attack red green they have a built-in plus two accuracy they also have a surge for plus two more accuracy and a surge for plus two damage their abilities are squad training while attacking while adjacent to another friendly trooper you may re-roll one attack die efficient travel you ignore additional movement point costs for difficult terrain and hostile figures and they have the squad upgrade shore trooper only the whole squad upgrade mechanic is something we came up with for season four as basically a way for to kind of create a new type of attachment so essentially when you decide to attach a card to the shore troopers you can choose to attach the mortar trooper instead of a regular attachment and there are a lot of rules about this whole thing we did we we wrote a whole faq just just preparing for this release so i'm not going to go over all the individual points if you want to give that a read you can find that on the icp website it's definitely worth a read because it, that should help everyone understand exactly what the squad upgrade is but in short it is an attachment which adds a figure to a group and it uses all and basically everything on its card it uses and it doesn't use anything on the short trooper card so it, it doesn't have squad training doesn't have efficient travel doesn't have speed five, doesn't have a search for accuracy, doesn't have an eight accuracy, doesn't have search for plus two. It's got a phone for search for plus two but instead, basically. Uh, so this is kind of like how they, they have it in Legion, where you can have a special unit in with your other units. So it, it's the same cost as the other figures in that group. So it's also a cost of four. So then instead of having the short troopers be a two figure unit, then you have three, whereas the Mortar Trooper does something slightly different. Surge for plus two damage and a double action fire mission. Perform an attack, you may draw line of sight from any figure in this group, but still measure range from this figure. Apply blast one to the attack results. Hall, while moving, treat blocking and impassable terrain as difficult terrain. So I like that the short troopers have speed five, which is quite fast for Imperial. Almost all Imperial figures are four, but the mortar trooper does have this slightly limited thing where it has speed three, but I think it's really interesting the blocking and impassable terrain, they can get around that. So that I think is going to allow for some interesting things to happen. It's not quite mobile, but it does do some interesting things. Mm. So the reason we gave it the whole ability is because we can't really give it mobile because it doesn't really make sense. Um, you know, it's this big hunkering machine which shoots mortar and it crashes through the roof and then crashes back down through the roof. But at the same time, we playtested it on a couple of maps and realized, oh my goodness, it actually can't leave 50% of the deployment zones in the game. Oh no! Yeah, so, so we had to come up with some sort of way to counteract that, so we, we gave it whole, which is a new ability we created. Yeah, no, I think these guys are very cool. Essentially, they are epic stormtroopers. You know, so they're faster than stormtroopers, their attack characteristic, they hit harder than stormtroopers, they have more health than stormtroopers, they can use Call the Vanguard, they can't reinforce, obviously, because the because of the figure cost. And the Mortar Trooper is very, very interesting. This, as well, just like the Ewab, is one of the best figures to pair with Krennic, because 
the mortar trooper is most likely going to stay out of harm's way. It's going to stay back around the corner, and it's going to use its fire mission to draw line of sight from a short trooper. And because you're keeping it out of line of sight more or less the entire game, you don't care if it takes some extra damage here and there from unhinged director, because blue, blue, green with plus two damage can be pretty devastating. I think that's going to have some interesting mechanics where, because we've never had it before, where there are different units in one activation. So this one, with one activation of the Shore Trooper, you have two different units that work slightly differently. I think that's quite interesting. Exactly. So what I do want to say is that we did spend a lot of time fine-tuning all the rules and making sure everything would be as clear and easy and obvious as possible. Basically, again, I would encourage everyone to go and read the FAQ because it's. I think it's about 10 to 15 questions, which would be pretty common questions that we perceived. And if you read them, that should answer any questions you might have about. But if not, then you can feel free to write a question in the comments, and if we see it pop up a lot, we'll add to it. We'll add to the FAQ an extra question. But essentially, the way the way they function is it's part of the original group for all intents and purposes, but it doesn't use any of the things on the other card so it's still got a figure cost of four if the mortar trooper were three points three three figure cost then it, it would not be able to perform call the vanguard even if the short troopers are asked cost four it really doesn't matter at this point but it's it's worth keeping in mind for future seasons because if this goes well and if we get a positive reception to the mortar trooper squad upgrade thing which so far we have um we're definitely going to look to do more of it in the future yeah I, I see some really nasty things you can do with isb's shooting with the mortar trooper yeah so the important thing to consider is that you only draw line of sight from a friendly short trooper when you perform its fire mission ability so Kane or ISBs or anything like that can't make it perform extra attacks unless you draw line of sight from its own model so just so i guess all the vanguard it also would not no. be able to do that then no but i mean you would be able to move three and still if you can get line of sight then that's fine but no it's only the fire mission double action which allows you to draw line of sight from a friendly short trooper and gain the last one yeah i mean a, a last act short trooper running up 10 or more and then uh the mortar trooper shooting from it is still pretty scary though. definitely yeah. and i think yeah you're definitely going to want to run dead eye in this list if you run the mortar get a dead eye in there because you have no searches for accuracy you don't have any rerolls you're going to want some extra accuracy when you need it so I like the kind of extra complexity of the normal shore troopers kind of providing the sight lines for the um, mortar troopers. So there's going to have some interesting positioning play there. Indeed. Okay. Any other comments about the Imperials? I think just generally we're going to see more Imperial archetypes be viable in the next couple of weeks. Months rather, because season four is going to last for six months, three months of playtests and three months of approved. And I think Krennic is going to make troopers a lot more viable. You don't have to run Guardian spam or defensive brawler spam in Imperials anymore. And Sorin is going to make vehicles even better is still great i mean in a recent episode we actually actually in the previous episode we spoke all about the tank but soren is just going to be amazing with those lists so i think imperials are going to get a lot more tools i don't think guardians are kind of going to become unviable or anything like that guardians are still going to be great but there are more ways to play empire which is just a good thing yeah because at the moment i feel like the imperial lists are are getting to be the very close to the tipping point where it's getting oppressive where everyone is playing a very 
very similar list. So lots of Vader Royal Guards and with not so much variation. There's just like a couple different variations. So I like that this could definitely mix it up. I'm still skeptical. I'm not sure if Trooper Swarm is gonna come back, but we'll see. It'll definitely get a lot of play in the testing league. So I'm uh, looking forward to that anyways. Absolutely. Alrighty, well, jumping onto the final faction we're going to be looking at today is the Mercenary faction. So we're gonna go through these cards and yeah. Scum is getting a lot of fun toys. Yeah, this is a this is a really interesting one. Yes. So first and foremost, um, we'll go with the unique guys first, which is not going to be very difficult because most of the changes are unique. So let's start off with everyone's favorite lizard. We have Bosk making a return. He is a hunter brawler, eight points. He has eleven health, speed of four, a black defense die instead of a white, and his attack pool is red green. He's got a static block for his defense, and static plus two damage for his attacks, and a static plus two accuracy for his attacks. So a lot of static abilities happening here. He also has a surge for PS2. He has a special action for indiscriminate fire. Perform an attack. After this attack resolves, if it did not miss, each figure within two spaces of the target space suffers strain equal to the number of surges rolled to a maximum of two strain each. And then regenerate. At the end of each round, recover two damage and discard all harmful conditions. So the changes made to Bosk is he has one more health, he rolls a black die instead of a white die, and indiscriminate fire has been changed to have a slightly more powerful attack rather than a grenade. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think of this Bosk? I am more likely to play him with the uh, defense change to the black die, because I find the white die, it's just... It, it's too risky for me rolling it. Um, and he has a lot of built-in static things. So we've got the plus one block built-in, plus two accuracy, plus two damage. So for eight points and 11 health, it doesn't seem so great, but with his regenerating ability, um, defense die now kind of a bit more reliable and you already have the built-in plus one block. He then has a bare minimum of two block on defense. That's pretty good. Um, so he's definitely going to stick around, I feel like, a lot longer than he did before. Yeah, Bosks Bos has always been pretty good. Um, merging that indiscriminate fire into the actual attack was, was really nice. I remember you, you always really struggled to use his other ability before. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was almost never worth it to use the indiscriminate fire. Exactly. Uh, so the thing I think about Bosk is that he's going to pair very well with some of the other figures we're going to talk about in this gun faction, but he is a hunter brawler, which are, you know, two of the most powerful keywords in the game, in addition to now guardians are, I'd say, up there as well. Mm -hmm. But hunter brawler and then regenerates. That means that he's going to be able to shoot someone, run up, Parting blow if he's got some sort of push card, and then remove his stun at the end of the round. Mm, yeah, that's true. Uh, he could play things like to the limit also and get rid of stun. Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So you could move eight with him and then form indiscriminate fire and then just remove the stun of the round. Mm -hmm. I think the strain as well, especially if you pair him with the new uh, uh, 
the the Trandoshan hunters as well, that can definitely synergize and you can really cause problems for your opponent by dealing with their command cards. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be fun. I don't think he's going to be, you know, an auto include in all scum lists or anything like that. But he's a viable hunter brawler who is going to be pretty tanky. I mean, black die plus one block and heal two every round. It's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all. Definitely looks good. Indeed. So the next figure that we're going to talk about is the one and only Mandalorian. And no, it's not Boba Fett. There might have been a couple more Mandalorians. <laughs> FYI. Really? No. <laughs> um, so we have the Mandalorian, a eight-point scum figure with the hunter-guardian keywords, which, as we know, that's very strong in this current day and age. Mm. He's, he's got 12 health, speed 4, a black defense dice, and an attack pool of blue, green, yellow. His surges are for plus 2 damage, Search for gain a block power token, and a surge for plus two accuracy PS1. His abilities are Beskar Armor. After deployment, you gain two block power tokens. He has an action, or special action, I should say, for Disruptor Rifle, which reads form an attack. After this attack resolves, if it did not miss and the target has suffered damage equal to its health minus one, the target suffers one damage. <laughs> and then we have Din's Wrist Flamethrower, which reads, move up to two spaces, and then choose a space within two spaces. Each other figure on or adjacent to their space suffers one damage and one string. So similar to some other flamethrower abilities we already have seen in the game. Mm -hmm. So the Mandalorian is a very interesting figure. Um, so instead of having a static defense bonus, he gets two block power tokens upon deployment. Which is interesting. So, you know, he's still going to defend quite a lot but you can't stack block tokens on top of his static rates or mm. blocks or anything like that, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Because, because again, he is a guardian. I think it's a bit strange thematically because Bosk's jumpsuit somehow is better armor than the best car <laughs> then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I wasn't really... I didn't have much to say on his design. There were some other cards that I worked more on, such as Chronic, but uh, this was... I can't remember exactly who it was who designed this one mainly, but uh, this was the box on the guys. Um, so before we talk about him generally, uh, he also has a command card called Whistling Birds, which is unique to him. Two points, include one on the deck. For an action, choose up to three figures within two spaces and roll a red die. Each of those figures suffer damage equal to the damage results. Fun! Yes. Uh, so what do you guys think of the Mando? What are your thoughts? So I like the kind of combo hunter-guardian because that's kind of a unique combination that we haven't seen before. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I think he's fun, cool. Uh, but I don't know if he's too different other than being able to do guardian cards compared to some of the other hunters we have out there. Hmm. I think some of the, the issue with the Mandalorian and maybe even maybe with Bosk too compared to the rest of the things we've seen spoilered and what's popular now is that they're actually slow. They, they have a, a base speed of four which is starting to be less than a lot of new units, you know, like short troopers or the, the Royal Guards that have come back or these, you know, brash Jedi jumping Jedi, you know, Jedi doing weird Jedi things. 
and the the reality is that a black die with a black token tossed in is going to just get shredded by by pierce three right mm. so yeah. he he's got to be quite careful about letting jedi get up to him but on the other hand he um can't really prevent that too well the the wrist flamethrower does give him a little bit more mobility though exactly so and it is a it's a unique flamethrower because even though we've seen similar ones with Terror and boba this one allows you to move two spaces first but it doesn't give out a weaken which yeah. i think is pretty critical so it is you know weaker than the other ones but the movement is very very nice because if you need to just deal some unblockable damage to kill a figure you could move two spaces form flamethrower and then form whistling birds and that is a good amount of unblockable damage. Mm. Could definitely wipe out some figures. Especially if somebody's playing Trooper Swarm, which may come back or may not come back. <laughs> so yeah, there's some counters to some of the other things. Yeah, I think I think if he's got a bunch of Guardian cards ready, mm-hmm. he'll be he'll be suitably tanky. But if he doesn't have them, yeah, I mean if if he doesn't have the cards though, I think his his incomplete mm-hmm. best car it's not going to last that long. So I do think that there's a place for him. Is he jaw-dropping absolutely insane for 8 points? No. I'd say he's pretty Mm well-balanced. Not an auto-include, but if you want to build a list around him, I'd say you definitely can. Yeah, Yeah, I think the the thing is, if you do want to build include him, your command deck is sort of half-built. Because you you do need the things. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, hunters and guardians are now the two keywords. Okay, arguably Smuggler as well, which have the most amount of cards, or most amount of expensive cards that you really want to include in the deck. <clears throat> so if you run him in a Hunter-Guardian list, which you definitely could, because Onar is also a Hunter-Guardian. So you could run him with Onar, they could play Get Behind Me on each other, Iron Will, Onar could give out extra defensive stuff to the Mando. Yeah, I, I think he'll be interesting. So going on to the next Mandalorian figure, we have IG-11. So this is a droid and guardian for 9 points. He's got health 12, speed 5, attack is blue-green ranged, and defense is 1 black die. He's got a static plus 1 damage to his attacks, and a static plus 1 block to his defense results. He's got a surge for plus 2 damage, and a surge for plus 3 accuracy. He has a special action that we have seen before on a previous figure, known as Vinto, which is rapid fire, perform 2 attacks, he also has a targeting computer built into him, which means that while attacking, you may reroll one attack die. And then we have the Nefarious Self-Destruct Protocol, which is when an attack targeting you is declared, you may move up to two spaces and roll a red die. If you do, each figure or object adjacent to you suffers damage equal to the damage results. Then you are defeated. I really like that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah, self-destruct is really thematic, and it's it's actually usable compared to some other self-destruct yeah. that we. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And also, something which is worth noting is that no, his self-destruct protocol cannot stack with last resort, because of the timing windows on the different things. I believe last resort is when you suffer damage equal to your health, and self-destruct protocol is when an attack targeting you is declared. Mm-hmm. So, and both of them read, then you are defeated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong there. Maybe you could theoretically. Uh, I, I actually I don't really see how you could get them both. I don't think it's... so because you're not suffering damage equal to your health. It just says you are defeated, so that it won't it won't proc the the last resort. Yeah, 
So he also has a command card, which we'll talk about before talking about him, which is Guild Programming. One point, IG-11 card, include one in the deck. Use when you perform rapid fire. Before you declare each attack, you become focused. Nasty! Very nasty. It's one very, point. Very nasty. It's one point as well. Exactly. That is very cool. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. So, you know, he he feels similar to IG, except, you know, he feels like a bit of a baby IG, which is exactly how he should feel like. IG-11 is obviously an insanely dangerous assassin droid. IG-11 is also a dangerous assassin droid, but not quite to the same extent as AT-8 is. Mm-hmm. Um, you still get to be able, you, you're still able to perform your two attacks, but you don't autofocus every single time, and you don't do your extra strain, and you can't choose your attack pool. However, you are able to move five and still perform two attacks. So I could see players running both IG, both IG droids. You could run IG-11 and IG-88 together. And I think that could be very viable. Throw in Forlorn, maybe, for some ultimate droid shenanigans. And, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for him. That's a that's a huge amount of points for very little health, though. IG-11 and 88. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say IG, um, IG-88 has a pretty nice defense pool for his... Or health pool for his cost. And they've both got plus one block, but... Exactly. Depends what everyone else is dishing out, right? Yeah. So again, this is another Guardian, so you can have your Guardian cards as well. But if you play, let's say, um, IG-11 and the Mandalorian together, who do you spend your Guardian cards on, right? But mm. it, it, you're going to have to make a choice. Well, I think I think that the answer becomes um, whoever they try to kill first because mm. you don't want to yeah. lose either of them so yeah. if you have it you're going to play it yeah exactly and spring the damage out as well i do think they're both going to work pretty well together with Genoso because you know they wouldn't mind recovering some damage because again they are ah. guardians so, yeah, I could definitely see some fun combos around there. So, any final thoughts on IG before we move on to the next deployment? No. Beautiful. All right, so the final deployment for the Mastery Faction, before we go into some very, very fun upgrades, are the Trandoshan Hunters. Hunter Brawler, eight points, four points per figure, and two figures in the group. They have health eight, speed four, a black defense dice, and a range attack with blue-green. They have a search for focus, search for PS2, and a search for plus one damage bleed. They have the relentless ability, which is when in, when you declare an attack targeting a figure within three spaces, that figure suffers one strain. They also have ACP Shattergun. While attacking, if you are adjacent to the target, apply plus two damage to the attack results. And then we have regenerate. At the end of each round, recover two damage, and discard all harmful conditions. Now these guys are pretty nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Very nasty. Um, so I once had a game in playtesting where I ran these guys up. They attacked Diala, or rather he, it attacked Diala, fo- focused itself during the attack, then played looking for a fight to oh. push Diala, play parting blow, and because you perform the attack before the figure leaves the adjacent space, you still get the plus two damage. So that's an extra strain, an extra plus two damage, and now you're focused. And it, it was just 
brutal. And then at the end of the round, it just didn't matter because they just recover. They just recover two damage if they did take anything, and they remove their stun, mm. which is very, very powerful. So, what do you guys think of these guys? Oh, they they look great. I mean, they're the mercenary answer to brawling, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because you now have to question whether or not you want to come in close and fight them. <laughs> yeah, because 8 health is, you know, most figures can't one-shot 8 health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you fail to kill them completely, they're just going to recover. Yeah. Ghastly. Especially, you know, if you were to run four of them. If you've got um, Loku as well, and they're they're attacking with Pierce 1 and plus 2 damage, and they're... <laughs> Focused and refocused. Oh my goodness. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> that is amazing and gross. Yeah, gross. <laughs> oh god, that is disgusting. Yeah, I think it's it's uh that would be a something you could build around in order to reach that command card independent list that we were talking about earlier, and then you mm. just fight the spy war mm. and assume that none of your command cards will do anything, but you're still pretty monstrous. Otherwise. Yeah, but I mean, these guys do love their brawl and hunter cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hunter brawler. Yeah, because being able to move up, attack twice because of parting blow with hunter cards, and then playing grizzly contest at the end of it. Because these guys love grizzly contest because if they just take the two damage, they're just going to recover. Yeah. Oh, uh, so yeah. They the best brawlers in the game yeah. to play grizzly contest with. True. Yeah, but ev- everyone everyone has really good combat figures that also splash spy now. So you you do have to realize they're going to be targeting your good cards. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it will be interesting because we've had a Guardian Brawler meta for the last four months, five months, mm-hmm. six months. It'll be interesting to see whether we still have the same archetypes, but if we see just see more get added. If spies now become commonplace, with Loki being amazing and ISBs being amazing... So like that. I, I'm very curious to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see if troopers make a comeback and if hunters make a comeback. We'll see. Mm, yeah, those are definitely on my bucket list as well. And the droid uprising! Yes! We'll yes, the we'll droids see. are coming back. Getting some, <laughs> some more good droids. Now, how do you get Soren <laughs> with IG? <laughs> I mean, you, you, can, you can pull IG-11 into Imperial, but unfortunately you can't pull the buffed IG-88 into yeah. Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can take IG-11, though. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Run IG-11 uh, with a bunch of sentries. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have three more cards to get through, and two of them kind of go together. So we'll start off with the final mercenary card for Season 4, which is Clan of Two. It's a regular, unique skirmish upgrade called Clan of Two. It's an attachment. costs one point. Unique guardian only. At the start of a mission, place the child companion in an adjacent space. The child activates at the start or end of your activation. At the end of your activation, push the child figure or its incapacitated token to an adjacent space. The child cannot suffer damage outside of its activation unless it is the target of an attack. While you are defeated... A unique figure may retrieve the child or its incapacitated token to gain one victory point. And before we jump in and talk about this card, let's take a look at the child companion itself, just so we can compare the the abilities and see exactly what it is we're talking about. So the child is a companion, unique, and has the force user trait. It's got health, two, no attack dice, 
a white defense dice and speed three. For two strain, it can perform a special action called Force Heal, which reads an adjacent friendly figure recovers two damage. And then we have Force Exhaustion. When attack is declared targeting you or a friendly figure with Clan of Two, you may become incapacitated. If you do, the attacker removes one attack die from their attack pool and becomes weakened. So, what do you think? I think I could never play this because I cannot put the child in harm's way. His <laughs> incapacitated token, it's so sad! <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate, but at least we didn't, you know, create a... Actually, I shouldn't say that because that's a spoiler. No, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think it has some uh, a unique way of having another companion on the board. And the retrieve to gain one victory point is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, especially since it does stack and it goes on and on and on. You know, if you if a unique figure were to pick you up, gain a point and then die, another figure can pick you up, gain a point, and then they could die and then another figure could pick it up. So it could be an interesting amount of points there, especially if you're playing against Empire, or if you're playing with Empire against Clan of Two, and then you have the Emperor, maybe, and you just keep on damaging your unique figures, killing them, but and recycling points. Maybe you're so far ahead that you only need a few points, and you're happy to give up what, 10 points from your unique figures um, to cycle it. So I do think it has some interesting uh, play choices there. So is it that any unique figure on either side can pick it up and gain the victory point? Correct. Uh, and it is then carrying the token. That's so interesting. So then let's say your opponent retrieves the child who is not incapacitated. Does it get to mm -hmm. use its abilities? Uh, no. So essentially you can pick it up after the figure that the child is attached to mm -hmm. has been defeated. But you don't get to attach the uh, the child to you because you don't get that attachment. No, more or less, as far as I'm aware, all the rules on the child are just treated as null and void. I mean, I guess a figure could attack the child, you know, if you're running Java, then it is an extra point. And then because you are a force user, you could play some stuff there, because it is still a figure, unless it's incapacitated, in which case you can't. But yeah, so it's got some interesting, some interesting stuff to do there. Mm. So with the, the, the text that reads, the child cannot suffer damage outside of its activation unless it is the target of an attack, that's like things like blast or trample or those kinds of things like area effect or cards like grenades and things like that would not be able to harm the child. Exactly. You can't tempt the child to death. You can't grenade, you can't overrun or anything like that. You mm -hmm. have to decide to shoot it. And if you do decide to shoot it, it's probably going to use Force Exhaustion yeah. to try and you know, stay alive, but, you know, just weaken you and remove one of your dice. Yeah. So I think this is an interesting card. I don't think it's an auto-include for yeah. mercenary scumlists, which is, again, a good thing. We shouldn't be creating cards which are, you have to run this or else you're going to lose every single game. But, you know, I, I think this could have very cool synergy with box lists. If you were to bring MHG into scum, suddenly you now have two figures that can recover. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that two strain hurts, though. It does. So, I mean, the first the first time you're going to mill a card and take a damage. So, it basically, it, it was given two strain because we realized that the ability to heal two damage every turn on demand is borderline broken. Yeah. Um, because if you run it, it with MHD, I could push 
all I could put all my work into dealing five damage to Boba, and then just two actions done, gone. Which was not very fun. <laughs> Question: If the child becomes incapacitated, there's no way for it to become un-incapacitated. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Recapacitated. Recapacitated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. No. Once it's incapacitated, once it's used force exhaustion, it's effectively out of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you kill the figure it's attached to, then you can start picking it up for extra points, which yeah. is interesting. You'll get the extra point for the attachment, right? Yeah, yeah. In addition sure. to the VP. Yes. Definitely. So it's worth two victory points extra onto that figure if you kill the figure and pick up the child. But potentially zero if the owner of Clan of Two picks up the child. Ah, right, 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 right. Alrighty. Well, before we jump onto the final card, which is a neutral card, the only neutral card of the season, what are your thoughts on the Scum Faction for Season 4? I think that there are some things that are going to mix it up. I am feeling like the Trandos definitely can make a comeback because we haven't really seen the Trandoshan Hunters played too much, and um, I think Strainless Mm. can definitely have... Uh, a place? Yeah, I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. Like, uh, Bosk and the Trandoshan Hunters are look really good. And they, they definitely might be what Mercenary needs to be relevant in, in the meta, especially with the close-ranged fighting, right? But on mm. the other hand, I'm not that excited yet. I haven't played them. But because they're a similar list, I guess, to playing another brawler other other faction mm. i i want to see i want to see you know crazier stuff from scum they've always really been the the wild card and less of a really good kind of different flavor of of the same archetype but i think you you might get that with some of the the other offbeat offbeat releases like this last card that we haven't talked about Indeed. Yeah, I think that's completely correct. Um, Trend Oceans, I think, are... I don't think there's much argument. I do think that it is the best card to come out of Scum for this season. They are absolutely insane. And if you're running a Scum list and you want to play a brawler playstyle, there's no reason for you not to take them. They are amazing. I think I'm I'm definitely more excited about Rebel than anything else, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. even, and even even if you're gonna ask me how my scum lists will change, it will probably be more related to the rebel cards coming up than the scum cards, because Lo- Loku and Pathfinders are just really interesting. I I don't like I can see that the Trandoshan Hunters are are straightforwardly strong, and they they might be what kind of fills that brawling combat part of my list but that's not the, the cool part that i'm looking forward to i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to trying to see what we can do with pathfinders maybe if we can do something weird with built on hope and Jin urso and lando looks like a lot of fun yeah my thought is that all of these cards involve brawler or guardian which we've been seeing a lot of recently so it's kind of leaning more towards that get in their face, brawl, punch them until one of you gives up 
So I, I feel like it, there's, yeah, th that's why I'm, I'm, I don't have an overwhelming, very excited about the mercenary faction, because I feel like we're kind of seeing that play style a lot. And with mercenaries, I kind of usually look to see the more long range play, a bit more cagey, a bit more things happening with positioning versus kind of running in and brawling. But that being said, this is different for them. They've been kind of left behind in the more brawler heavy meta at the moment with Scum. There's only been one Scum player in the most recent Beskar Cup tournament. So we'll see if that allows them to kind of get into this uh, current meta. But at the same time, we kind of don't want to see this same meta kind of just continue. So we'll see. I think we could get something really interesting with maybe Lion Ambush on the Trandos. But with Mercenary in terms of design, I guess I'm I'm always wanting to see, you know, weird stuff like Beast Machines with HKs shooting through the Bantha or, uh, <laughs> you know, rank, rank core lists. A VP was interesting for a little while. Uh, I think Hunter's was interesting for a little while, but then stick, stuck around just too long. <laughs> yeah. Maybe something where, where Strain and Discard come back, especially now that yeah. the Trandoshans are are looking usable again. That mm -hmm. would be really cool. And and Bosk. That's definitely what I'm most excited about in the Scum Faction, is the potential for more Strain mechanics to come out and see what people do with that. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking at trying to get Strain up and running again with with Merck's next season. I mean, I, I think you could do that very, very well, because Escalating Hostility and Trandos is a lot, a lot of strain. Mm. And, you know, if you want to give the old two-point card another 12 under duress, yeah. then that, that could be very, very significant. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff with flamethrowers now, right? The Mandalorian yeah. can strain you out, too. Yeah, exactly. So potentially you could go with two sets of Trandos, Boba, and the Mandalorian. Just a ton of strain. And then do underdress as well. So yeah, no, I do think strain could be very viable. I, I completely get what you guys are saying. I kind of disagree to a certain extent. So yes, this is a little bit more of the same, you know. They're still close-ranged figures. But at the same time, the big things that have come out of Season 3 have been Guardians and Jedi. And those figures just kind of happen to be brawlers. Or, and not even all of them are. You know, a lot of Guardians are not brawlers, and a lot of Jedi, a lot of Jedi are not brawlers. Whereas with the Scum Faction, and I'm mainly talking about the Trandos and Bosk here, the other figures I think are cool, but I, I'm not as big of a fan of them as I am with the Trandos. But the Trandos, they, they are kind of a different way to play Mercenary. For... The last couple of years, it's kind of been a ranged game. And yeah. You guys know me. I, I love sniping. I prefer a sniping game to a melee game. But at the same time, it's still cool to mix it up. And having Scum be this kind of close-range list, which still... It, it doesn't do badly from afar. I mean, Bosk doesn't have to be adjacent to his targets. I mean, the the Trandos have minimum three range anyways. Four if they're yeah. fast. Yeah, exactly. You know, I can really get what you guys are saying. But I do think that... I'd actually say this is pretty fresh because they're not Guardians and they're not Jedi. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not, I don't dislike them. I'm just yeah, yeah, curious sure. to see what happens.
Yeah, they're, they're just not what excites me in terms of list building. But I don't know, when we take a look at strain again, that might change. The problem is you, you've got Hunter and, and Brawler already. And if you're going to start using Parting Blows with some Hunter cards, I don't think there's room. You, you, you've got to cut one of those maybe for, for strain mechanics. And maybe it is that Hunter is not worth it at the moment. If you do Brawler and, and strain, that mm -hmm. might be stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, I do think there's a lot to be explored this season because obviously for steering community, we've done a lot of playtesting in season four. Like I said before, we've done way more playtesting for this season than the other seasons combined. Mm. We've really put a lot of work into this, but at the same time, we're it's only seven of us and a lot of cards. Yeah, um, yeah, so, for sure. You know that there will there will still be you know some cards might be too good, some cards might be too bad, but we'll just see what happens. All in all, I'm really excited for season four, and I'm especially excited for my second favorite card of the season, which we're going to talk about next. My absolute favorite is Chronic. Let's make that perfectly clear. But my second favorite card is right here, and this is the one and only. Darksaber, Weapon of the Ancients. It is a neutral skirmish upgrade attachment, costs one point, and it is unique and delete. Attach to Maul or Sabine Wren only. Treat your attack type as melee. You lose Hunter and Brawler. If you are a Force user, you may use Imperial command cards and may exhaust this card while attacking to reroll one attack die. You also get a special action to perform a melee attack with a red die. Then you may perform an attack. So just explaining how the card is laid out. Like it says in the preview article, this card was the most reworked and just card of the season. It had, I think, about 10 different iterations over the course of our playtesting. And the final version, we think, is the most clear and concise way to word all the abilities. So basically, if you're running this card on Sabine, you only pay attention to the first line on the card, which is treat your attack type as melee, you lose hunter and gain brawler, and then you have the access to the special action. Whereas if you are attaching it to Maul, you will only use the second block of abilities, which is if you're a force user, you may use Imperial Command cards and make sure this, this card will attack to reroll and attack die, and then the action. So that way it's very clear when you're playing the card, is this on Sabine? Cool, I'll, I'll, I only have to read half the text, and you don't. there's no confusion there, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, this card is very, very cool. Uh, so before I, I go on a rant about it, uh, what do you guys think of the Darksaber? I really like it. I And I really like that you could put it on both Maul and Sabine. Um, the idea with Sabine now being melee, I don't know how many people would use her that way, but it is a new way to potentially use her. Generally hmm. speaking, you kind of want to kind of have her hang back because her free grenade ability is so good but you know it this could be a new way for some people to play sabine and definitely maul needed it like for sure maul needed it yeah david what do you think i think sabine's issue is that her melee attack with one red die is not going to do much right yeah so she she might have something if you really really want to put sabine in a brawler list but <laughs> But with Maul, it makes him absolutely deadly at close range. Mm -hmm. if, if Maul gets up to you, you should be very scared. The thing is, though, 
he that's how he should have been, right? Maul should be scary if he yeah, gets exactly. into your face. So the fact that before he was kind of lackluster was just sad. Precisely. I mean, I mean, Maul is one of the most notorious Force users in Star Wars, and he's also one of the most iconic. So essentially, with this card, we gave it to Sabine because it makes sense law-wise. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, if we only gave it to Maul, when technically in this era Sabine would be the one to have it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we we did make the card so that she can use it as well. Is it the most viable thing on her? Probably not, but if you do want to run her in a brawler list, you now definitely can. And if you want to run Spectre Cell, you could run Darksaber Spectre Cell as one of your final points. And suddenly now you have more melee synergy in your list, which I think could be pretty interesting. And so essentially, why this is so good for Maul, to anyone who doesn't know, Maul has an ability called Twin Bladed Fury, which means that when he declares an attack unit, he can either become focused or gain reach and cleave too. That's every time he attacks, which means that with this card, he can form focused for his red eye attack and then focused for his regular attack if he's adjacent, or if he's, you know, within two of of a bunch of figures, he he, he he can have one red eye and the cleave two, and then his regular attack and cleave two. So this takes Maul's power level. It shoots it through the roof. Not in a way that it becomes broken. Again, we've been playtesting with this one a lot, and I don't think it's too good. But Maul is now a very, very strong figure. And the reason it's neutral is that you can now attach it, you can now include it in any faction with Maul. If you use Temporary Alliance to pull Maul into Empire and run him with Sith, you can give him the Darksaber. If you keep Maul in Scum, you can give him the Darksaber. And if you use Saska to pull Maul into Rebels, maybe in a Jedi list or a, a Force user list, you could give him the Darksaber. So Maul is now a very, very viable and competitive Force user in all three factions. Mm. And because he can now play Imperial Command cards, that makes him work very well in Sith lists if you run him with Vader and Palpatine or the Grand Inquisitor, stuff like that. He can work very well with them because he can now play cards like Dark Energy to trigger Patrick Blow, um, some other slightly weaker Imperial Force user cards, but who knows, there might be some more coming in the future. You'll just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, interestingly, if you do run him in the Rebel faction, Ezra's command card allows him to play force user cards of any trait, uh, sorry, of any faction. And if you have now more in that list, you can now play Imperial force user cards. That's very interesting, because then you would be able to play, say, Dark Energy, and then Ezra could play his command card to play Dark Energy again, which is a pretty cool combo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so all in all, I love the Darksaber. I think this is one of the cards that's going to make the biggest splash. Every single faction has a very viable reason to take the dark, to take a dark saber mall, and yeah, I, I'm excited to see w- what it brings because you know he works great with Trandos because he wants to get in close with them and he's also a brawler with them. He also works great in Empire because he can run around with Royal Guards or with Vader, and he also works well in Jedi lists, helping them, which he also did in the Rebels TV show, which I think is just very very cool and thematic. So I am so excited to see what this card will do for the matter. Yeah, I think Maul is really scary in in Rebel, actually. Especially if you have Diala moving stuff closer to him, and then you have all your Force user kind of movement cards, right? And he, he just gets up there and he hits you, and you're you're kind of done. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, mold is gonna hit like a truck. Um, but that's a good thing because again, it's mold. That's what we should do. And before anyone at home might think, wait, well, how can he use twin bladed fury when he's got a single bladed dark saber? When Maul used the dark saber, he had the dark saber in one hand and then a single bladed red lightsaber in the other. That is two blades, dual blades. So, <laughs> so dramatically, it still works. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, yeah. Final thoughts on the dark saber before we wrap up our season four discussion. I think it's it's one of the most iconic sort of weapons in Star Wars, right? So it's really mm-hmm. cool that it's it's coming. And you know, I guess uh, you must have seen, or maybe not, depending on whether or not you follow Legion, but they just announced Darth Maul as well. Oh, so getting oh. Yeah, more more Maul models with with kind of modular poses and all of that to play with. Well, that's cool. Alrighty. Well, before we end the episode, then, what are your closing thoughts? on season four i mean this has been a lot of cards and we've been going very long now so this is likely going to be a lengthy episode but hey it's it's worth it i'd say um so what are your final closing thoughts on season four what do you think it's going to bring to the matter what are you looking forward to what are you worried about i'm really interested in how there's going to be a mix-up with the common archetypes that are played in each faction So, for example, with Rebels, I think there are going to be some new figures that's going to mix up that very heavily Force users Jedi list with that uh, addition of ranged uh, attacks as well. You're more likely to have some more ranged units instead of just seeing so much Jedis, which I think is going to be cool. Empire, I am really looking forward to seeing if the Trooper Swarm can make a comeback. And with the mercenaries, I'm really interested to see if more people play a strain mechanic and if we see kind of the Trandoshans making an appearance to have the scum faction be a little bit more up in your face. So I like how all of the different additions mix up what's commonly played in each faction. Mm. I really I really am interested how the E-Web ends up because it looks potentially absolutely dominating because mm. in in one sense you can say you know okay you overwatch the front and something takes a bunch of damage stepping out but you can also use it to overwatch your deployment zone if they've got lion ambush yeah oh mm-hmm. that, that just that is nice yeah completely nullifies that lion ambush drop if you've got two of them, you could probably, you know, wipe wipe out whatever they're they're putting in, which yeah. would be really nasty. Yeah, they'd have to just pull the ripcord on that one and deploy and their put own. Put it in their deployment yeah. zone. <laughs> that is really cool, and especially you know if you run him together with say maybe Krennic for the extra two damage, or with Sorin, not for the extra surges, but just for extra attacks. Yeah, that could be very very interesting. Mm, we shall see indeed so i just think that my final thoughts on season four would be like i've alluded to for a lot of episodes now season four i think is going to change the game for the better we are seeing a lot of new mechanics for example we have the dark saber which can be applied to different figures and does different things depending on the figure it's applied to we have clan of two which encourages guardian lists 
to have this extra little baby waddling, waddling along with them, healing them and just keeping them that little more defensive. And then we also have the new squad upgrade type of card, which is going to, you know, it's very different. So Season 4 introduces a lot of new mechanics into the game, and a lot of them are going to change the archetypes that we see commonly in the meta. I mean, yes, Guardians are still going to be great. Yes, Jedi are still going to be great. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But Pathfinders and ATRTs. Now we've got some pretty viable troopers from in, in Rebels. Rebel Saboteurs. They are amazing at punching through that insane amount of defense that Guardians can throw out. We have Loku for basically the same reason. Eweb has an incredible board control. It's kind of the same thing with the short troopers and mortars, because the mortar can basically shoot shoot anyone, even if he doesn't have line of sight himself. Krennic is going to be very interesting to apply extra damage to trooper lists, and we'll, we'll definitely be looking at how that goes. And in mercenaries, we have some more guardians. We have some hunter guardians, even, which is a very powerful combo in this day, day and age. Mm. And we see the return of brawlers. And even though it's been a brawly game for quite a while, we haven't really seen brawlers taking a common place for the brawler traits, which I think we will now. With Trandoshans and Bosk and Maul, I think we're going to see the meta change. And with the new map rotating in as well, which is going to be larger, and I'm pretty sure that the next one rotating in in four months is also going to be a larger map. We are going to try and pull the game out a little bit because we've had such small maps for so long. I think Season 4... That's a lot of fun stuff to offer, and I can't wait to see it hit hit the table, and we can start gathering feedback and hearing what people like and don't like about the season. And definitely kudos to the ICP committee, because you can definitely see the amount of work that's gone into designing these cards that are interesting and unique and different. And I have to also really uh, mention that I really like the new structure. It makes everything much more clear and easy mm. to understand when things are happening, why things are happening. The clarity, I think, is really nice to keep our community cohesive. Absolutely. And hats off, I believe it was Noah who suggested that idea that we switch from our kind of sporadic and disorganized method to now when it's pretty clear it's six months every season, three months of playtest, three months that approved. And yeah, things can be pretty good. That makes a lot of sense. It just makes things easier to deal with overall. Exactly. Yeah, this season's got a lot of interesting things. Um, I I was feeling extreme kind of brawler meta fatigue. I think because for me, brawler meta started when Spectre Cell came out. Yeah. So we are still, I'm still trying to crack the same lists in some <laughs> sense. And then I see stuff like Rebel Pathfinders, and that that starts to excite me. Yeah, absolutely. Because there are so many new toys to play with that aren't necessarily brawl. There, there are great brawl stuff coming out, such as Trenders and all. But you know the Sabs, the ATRTs, the Pathfinders, Loku, Verena, um, Sorin, Ewebs, Short Troopers, Krennic. There are a lot of new archetypes that I think will be very viable, and I can't wait to see how they do. Looking forward to it. Indeed. Alrighty. Well, we want to once again thank everyone for listening, and we will see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.